Welcome to this episode of The Decade Podcast. My name is Melker Larsson and I'm the host of this show together with Jonathan Angel. This is a podcast where we curiously explore holistic sustainability and answers to the question, how on earth can we live together? Join us as we learn from inspiring stories from champions of sustainability and beyond. We hope to inspire you to think, act and work for a better planet for all throughout this decade of action. In this episode, we explore the hot topic of AI, which is important for everyone to have a working understanding of how it impacts our life both now and in the future in both positives and potentially harmful ways. In this conversation, we got to ask some of our questions to Kai Anderson, who is a chief product officer and co-founder at Kanuchi. Kanuchi is a company working with AI to help large organizations change and adapt. We explore how AI can help us with challenges in today's society in sectors such as healthcare, education and politics. You will also hear examples of how AI is used in large environmental projects. There's a lot of nuance needed in the discussion about AI, but one thing that I take away from this conversation is that the best thing that we can do today is maybe to try to use AI for as much good as possible. And I think Kai can inspire us to think about how we can best do that in some examples. So with that said, enjoy the episode. Welcome to this episode of the Decade Podcast. Today we're joined by Kai Anderson. How are you today, Kai? I'm very good. Thank you very much, Melka and Jonathan. Today we'll explore some hyper-relevant topics, I think. There's not one soul in the the modern world that uh, the topic of AI has surpassed in the latest few months, at least. So we'll hope to unpack that a little bit and talk about it from also a perspective of how it can relate to sustainability and um, we thought that there would be none better to do that than uh, you Kai so we're really happy to have you here today as this very interesting topics but also deep waters for ourselves and uh, as we have heard from you before you're very skilled at communicating some complex topics so we're really excited to have you here but I wanted to start off with letting you explain what it is that you actually work with and why you are involved with these topics today. Oh, wow. Uh, what is it I actually work with? Um, it becomes more and more complex and hard to answer that question as you grow older. But we started a company called Kanuki two years ago, together with the Wallenberg Foundations, where we use uh, large language models, deep learning AI models, to help organizations change faster and capture and share insights within the organization in large organizations um, because large organizations have a natural tendency to become slow and rigid because of the fact that with with size it becomes slower to share information and share insights Um, so we're using the power of data and ai to help change that and I guess that comes from me and Oscar, my co-founder. We have a shared frustration of change not happening fast enough, mm. partly because of all our challenges that we have 
coming up with sustainability, I mean, climate change, but also the changing political landscape and everything that we were seeing around the world. And I came about this company uh, because the years previous, leading up to that, I was part of a, I was a very early employee of a deep learning company or a deep deep learning platform company called Peltarian that was acquired by King last year. Uh, King who does makes Candy Crush. Mm. Um, And at Peltarian, I was fortunate enough to work with deep learning from a platform perspective with clients and industries all across the world, like in every different perspective. So I think I got a very, a very unique chance to see what is the, what are the opportunities of deep learning? Like, because I've got to see it from breast cancer prediction to healthcare, to agriculture, to every to manufacturing to fast consumer goods to everything so i kind of i had a good chance to to see like to really understand it from a from a broad perspective Mm. yeah that sounds really interesting to have that like many different angles to view it from so are you a programmer and computer scientist or do you have a different angle into the field of deep learning I guess I have a kind of a multiple X competency. I started a web agency when I was in high school together with some friends. I had my eyes set on studying molecular biology because I thought that would be a, a crucial science to terraform Mars. But mm. then uh, I internet came around and we started our web agency and then I ended up in the agency world and worked with digital at web agencies, PR agencies, advertising agencies, big networks around the world in different countries for a long, long time. I usually say that I went from uh, producing banners to uh, business consulting towards the end. And then I had what almost felt like my first job when I joined Peltorian and left the agency world. Interesting, interesting. You said that 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 you wanted to help accelerate change in in big organizations because they have a tendency to become rigid. And I find this really interesting as it touches on something that we ourselves are involved with at as sustainability consultants. It's a lot about changing how we do things and uh, welcoming, even if it's like new great ideas, to let them also become connected to uh, the culture and the operations that are already existing in uh, the organization. So can you tell us a bit more about how you're actually doing that and uh, what your method is? Yeah, sure. I mean, I come from from the agency world where we, I mean, my job was to, I worked with probably I mean, over a hundred companies all all over the world, and our job was basically the client comes came to comes to an agency with a problem, and the the young creatives uh, naively come up with new solutions that they think this is the obvious solution to to your problem, without having to consider all the realities within the organization, like titles and operational structures and costs. 
uh, and from that frustration of like, hey, we have the this best idea, why don't you do it over and over again? And then working quite a lot closely to venture capital and private equity and understanding this is a recurring problem within organizations that people tend to resist change. Mm. Um, when I started working with deep learning, I saw that data and AI can kind of point to patterns and see the truth better than humans can. Mm. So, so the way we do that, instead of you know, having one small group in a large company of thousands of people come up with an idea and then trying to convince the remaining thousands of people and fighting that struggle, we use AI models so we can we can ask everyone in an organization one single question about the future. So we can ask we've we've asked forty thousand people in seventy countries, uh, like what do we need to become the best possible company or more efficient and a more efficient company and a happier workplace ten years from now? And we ask people to write as much as they want in whatever language they want, since the large language models can handle over 100 languages really, really well. And in in those cases, um, I think we had about 15,000 people uh, responding. They write approximately 500 words, words per person. I think they responded in 13 languages. Uh, about what they need for the future. And then we use AI models to identify what topics are they talking about uh, and what topics occur together. And then they're, I mean, since they can use whatever language they want, uh, they don't have to conform to a second language that is the corporate language because that tends to make people talk corporate buzzwords and mm. They're more comfortable with actually explaining what what do I need, what do we need in my reality, uh, and then we create a common insight canvas. We visualize these insights and we out to summarize the the top different topic clusters, and then we give everyone in the organization access to this. So the different different team leaders can gather their teams and discuss. Okay, this is what everyone is saying. This is what we're saying in our country. This is what we're saying in our team. Obviously, in some cases, we're talking about the same things, but we're using different languages. And that's, I mean, the whisper game. We're talking. So it becomes easier for people to understand each other and understand each other's realities and see where where can we collaborate without having to wait for uh, the headquarters to give us directions. And also... uh, it becomes objective, so it's not one pe- person saying, "I'm saying you need to do this." It's we mm. together are saying these are our top priorities, and I can collaborate with someone in India directly and not having to go and wait for bureaucracy to take its turn. And we've done this now. Also, we've done worked with uh, a few large uh, companies, Swedish companies with uh, 10,000 or more employees. But we've also worked with uh, one municipality and region in Sweden uh, where we've actually, where we asked 
all the we worked with Skellefteå, where Northvolt is located. And I mean, they're growing really, really fast, which obviously comes with the risk of uh, having a lot of people move in with high with a high education, which ris- runs the risk of um, conflicts or I mean, just say, uh, polarization in a society when it grows too fast. So we have done a pilot together with SKR, the Swedish uh, Municipality and Region Organization. Uh, and the municipality itself, where we've asked all who've, who've moved in over the last few years, how do you need Skellefteå to develop in order for you to want to stay for generations? Mm. And we've had everyone who've moved in over the last few years respond freely in that. So we get their words on what they need Mm. So it's a pilot to see if we can create a different kind of citizen dialogue uh, that doesn't have to conform to only the 12 or 16 categories that we frequently talk about in politics or in in media. Mm. Oh, that's very, very interesting, actually. And uh, what I hear you say is that your your way into AS, what kind of you saw the uh, immense opportunities that comes with with AI, and we will talk more about this, what AI can help us you to to create this future that we really, really want. Um, and we will also probably address some of the fears that, that comes with that, because there is a lot of fear. You talk about it that we're, we're, uh, we don't really like change that much. Uh, human brains like, like comfort and doing things that we've done previously. But... If you would describe what AI actually is, if you would explain it to me that I've never heard the term AI before, how would you describe it to me then? I would describe AI as technology that can analyze a lot of data and see patterns beyond the human capability. So look at a lot of images or a lot of text or a lot of sound and understand patterns uh, that we cannot see. Mm. And it's easy to try to think about AI as our cognitive thinking, Mm. the way we think every day when we're aware but our cognitive thinking is actually more similar to very, very basic programming, rule-based programming. If this, then that. And these AI models, the deep learning models, are more similar to our gut feeling. The things that happen subconsciously, where you see someone in a crowd, a relative, uh, a parent or a child, like before you even have seen them, you know that they're there. It's just mm. it just happens subconsciously, or you notice that someone is nervous. That's more similar to the way AI functions. Mm. So and then and that's then I think of this must be so so many then possibilities. So if I understand correctly, it's not that that we would outsource our everyday thinking that that it would be more that we it's a technology or a 
force or a power or a tool or whatever you want to call it that we would work alongside to achieve what we would like to achieve is that correct yes definitely i would say 100% ai the technology is all about helping us to to do more and see more as mm. humans mm. Uh, it has no no specific function on its own mm-hmm and what is it that you see that it's um, like if we if you would describe it as what is it that AI helps us do that we can't really master or do as we we as a species right now? What are the challenges that we really are facing at the moment that AI can really enable us and help us accomplish or overcome that obstacle? Well, let me take three. Three examples that I think mm. most people can relate to. Uh, the two first are healthcare. We have a healthcare system that is basically 100 years old. It functions the same way. We have uh, very, very educated experts that we spend a lot of money on, and they are the bottleneck. They inspect symptoms. Basically, we go to them when we break down. Mm. And they are the bottleneck. We we have a limited amount of them, and we're completely dependent on them for for our national health. If we can use AI to detect illness earlier, it will cost less, and we will be healthier as a nation. Mm. And that's something that AI can do because our specialist doctors they only work with one symptom at a time, but health is. Everything is connected Mm. and no human doctor can process in their mind all the different data points that make up the human body. AI can do that. So with AI, we can move earlier and earlier all the way into preventive health creation. So we can actually tell you instead of you have broken down, we can tell you now you, your health is starting to deviate a little bit. Maybe you should eat a little bit more of this or do a little bit mm. more of that so you don't, you don't ever become sick. Mm. That's one area where humans simply cannot do that because we, we can't think about that. The other is another 100-year-old system, which is school. We educate our children on a conveyor belt principle based on the date, the year they are born, produced, even though their brains develop at different speeds. Mm. We know this, I mean, science has shown this for dec- for decades, but that's because teachers cannot process, diff- I mean, so many different children's needs at the same time. But AI could help us do that. It could help mm. us monitor which is a scary word the children's needs and feed that to the teacher so the teacher can know that greta needs something else than pelle right now pelle my pelle's brain might not be suitable to exactly the same level of math that greta's is right now so it might make sense for them to learn at different things at different times Mm. so we can so more children can reach their unique full potential in life instead of having to conform to only one way of being educated. Uh, And the last one, which is the field where I work with, not the last one, but the last example, is just to 
instead of us working on a consensus basis where we have we kind of we agree on a truth that we are all the or all comfortable with which is often a generalizing level because we don't use the same language we can help we can use ai as a translator and help us find objective truths if we mm. look at cop 27 the last climate uh, meeting in egypt i i my guess is Everyone who went to that meeting, all the thousands of people, except for the uh, fossil industry lobbyists, mm. know exactly what the solution needed is. Mm. Everyone. But for some reason, when they enter that room, they can't agree on a solution. Mm. If we were had asked everyone beforehand to just write what is needed and print mm. and used AI to summarize that, and had that on a big screen on the wall for all of those days, they couldn't have ignored it. But now instead, they come up with a resolution where they <laughs> write af- out the F word because they're not even allowed to say fossil fuels. Mm. Mm, yeah, it's uh, w- what I hear you say is that it would help us or enable us to think more long-term or work proactively rather than reactively. Um, yes, mm. very and, good point. Yeah, and you also mentioned something there, like um, a large group of people coming into a the same room with basically the same agenda, but not getting to to terms or agree on a a solution. And I think I've heard you describe this before that when we use AI or work alongside AI, we take away the kind of human biasness that if Greta through her activism what she says is I mean it's so many valid points and she's like on on the spot what what she talks about but then there's a lot of people that are by default not listening to her because it's coming from her a girl that is 16 year old that and and I think of the uh, the first reaction would be like, oh, what does she know? She's 16 years old. Or even if Johan Rockstrom, who is a, he's a scientist and knows a lot, naturally he will get resistance from a lot of people as well through biasness. Is that also a, a factor that can help us come to solutions that is actually favorable for us and long-term and sustainable when we remove that human biasness? Yes, I think so. I think so very much. I think the problem, one problem when we have change is that it comes from one person. So if you tell me we have to change, you challenge my reality. Uh, So, but if you and me, for some reason, manage to come up with change together, like we've invented it together, then it mm. becomes our things and it's easier for us both to change. But obviously that becomes harder and harder the more people you add to the mix for everyone to feel that they they have been part of creating that change and now their their identity is more tied to that future direction rather than the past safety. Mm. So when you and Rockström or Greta challenges some private jet flying Davos banker, they're essentially threatening their safety. Exactly. I, I've had an interesting thought pop up that might just be a projection on my end, but 
when you said they're like having change come from like bottom up by asking many people and I haven't thought this through, so bear with me, but in terms of like democratizing change and allowing more perspectives, it sounds like such an effective tool, but would there also be a risk of some type of uh, populism in that, that uh, we have uh, so many perspectives on uh, issues where there is lesser validation for like educated perspectives like for example how we use representatives in democracy today where it's supposedly that we want experts on different questions to discuss certain topics because uh, the general public can't be specifically knowledgeable about everything I think I think that's a that's an area where we could use this technology and especially now only the last few months where we've most of us have interacted with ChatGPT. Um, I think we need a template uh, for how we suggest change and talk about change, and we can use technology to help us like make the prediction into the future. So instead of just throwing a, a vague thought up there. We can help use the technology to kind of, if I have a suggestion or an idea, I can help, I can use the technology to explore what would be the implications of that. Mm. I had an idea or a suggestion a few years ago that I put to some parliamentarians. Why don't we have our parliamenta- parliamentary motions all follow a, have a like a standardized front page where you actually have to write out how does this affect Swedish the Swedish economy and society on a 25 and 50 year uh, timeline? So we can <laughs> compare different motions on their impact to the future. But then the response was, oh, that would be too hard. And I mean, that would challenge how we work too much. But let's say we had, I think we need technology to be able to do those, to, to reason in that way. And I think, I mean, Jonathan, you touched on this. That's the change we need to do, I think, in Mm. all our discussions is to really discuss what of our actions today are impacting our future in a positive way or in a negative way. Because most Mm. of the actions now, we are actually uh, creating debt in the future. Yeah. I also wanted to, to ask you, and as you've been involved with this, for you mentioned there are a few different use cases, um, mostly like involving people. Uh, have you also like seen different projects or research topics involved with large scale environmental uh, issues that AI is beneficial to? Yeah, we were when I was at Peltarion, we were uh, working a bit with uh, the name dropped out of my head. It's an NGO in the US where data scientists donate their time and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where we uh, looked at the research for identifying crop diseases, such as wheat rust that um, destroyed almost 50% of the wheat crops in Ethiopia and in China. 20 years ago and they're happening more and more and we started looking closer at helping identifying what type of 
precision fertilizing would be required depending on soil and crop type using infrared satellite imagery. So you could actually help crop yields and crop and soil health and decrease the amount of fertilizer, which leads to, I mean, fertilizer Mm. leads to soil depletion and eutrophication, uh, nitrogen going out into the seas, which leads to, to, to emissions. And 90% of all um, agriculture in the world is small farming, uh, which means uh, a field smaller than two acres, which is sometimes hard to imagine when you live in Sweden where we only have uh, large-scale agriculture. And all of those farmers, uh, if they fertilize, they fertilize with the standard MPK mix, which is only the three basic fertilizer um, components. Yeah, they like the macronutrients. Uh... Yeah, it's like if we were to eat only fat, protein, and carbs and nothing yeah. else, which which means that in a few years they will have depleted their soil and they have to fertilize even more to get something out of mm. the land. Mm. So the, there's some infrared technology like analyzing the, the soil quality so that they can make better adjustments to amend the soil as they're growing their food? Yeah, both knowing when to when to plant, when to fertilize, but also knowing what mineral contents are in this particular type of soil. And I think essentially using satellite imagery we could we could learn a lot. I know we there was a project a few years ago looking at, uh, I don't remember what gas, but I would say, nit- I'm not going to guess, some <laughs> a gas, gas emissions uh, above rice fields to help. Uh, that would probably be methane. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, to help uh, buyers in Europe um, give subsidies to rice growers in India and Asia kind of mm. bypass all the the bureaucracy and all that mm. Mm. i gotta say it's it's pretty cool that that can be done through satellites and uh, that type of spectroscopy um yeah <laughs> it's kind of mind-boggling when you think of it like how mm. is that done mm. yeah definitely and it seems like ai will definitely eliminate guy guessing that it's not going to be needed anymore you can just have yeah <laughs> uh, data straight away so uh, uh yep. but but it's uh, yeah it's very fascinating and i really like the way that we can i like the idea of us being able to make better decisions that are better calculated that can be long term because now like there's so much in our current society and structure and how we have designed how we live our lives that favor short-term gains on the cost of long-term costs or um is we're doing something now that are gonna cause harm for future generations so i really really like that idea and i absolutely love the idea with the with the example you brought up with the education that it would be instead of a large group of kids adapting to one kind of system or way it can be easier tweaked to the individual needs 
because that's so difficult today to with the resources we have to kind of adapt that so it's um it's clear that there's a lot of opportunities and possibilities um but um what what are how long have you been on on this ai journey now is it like four or five years yeah i would say it's now six years Mm. um and it was weird it was my um i started working with peltarion i think i was employee number nine or ten and before that ai was like for me like everyone else it was terminator and other science Mm. fiction references and all of a sudden uh, I got to work with Luka Trinkovic-Fries, who was the uh, founder and CEO of Pultarion. And after two weeks of working with him, I said, I want to join this. I don't care about salary. This is the most exciting thing I've ever like, been part of. This is going to change everything. Mm. And I mean, Sundar Pichai from Google has, invent- has compared it with uh, humans inventing fire. Mm. Mm. So this year with ChatGPT, <laughs> after kind of being uh, trying, feeling like Don Quixote and trying to change and get everyone to focus and prioritize AI, it feels like oh, finally. Yeah. But also a bit frustrating because uh, there's still a very low understanding, and especially mm. I think uh, in media and from journalists. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I see. Um, but uh, during your time as well, now we've like talked a lot about uh, the opportunities or what AI can do for us. Um, but are, are is it only like uh, fairy tales and rainbows, or is there also things that we need to be aware of and consider? Are there anything that AI can do against us humans? Absolutely. We can use it, I mean, as any tool, we can use it for harm or for good. And I think we have a situation or a a reality in the world where we have in the US, the world's largest free market, uh, where AI is, I mean, the development is going super fast and things are happening faster and faster there. And there's more and more investments going in. Uh, we have Canada, where the government is, has acted very, very decisive for the last 13 years. So there, there's that's the kind of the the epicenter of AI research in the world. And then we have China, on the other hand, with a long-term plan of becoming the the central uh, power of the world from a technological, societal, every every standpoint. And they don't have to care about uh, changing politics every four or five years, and they can just work according to that plan. Mm. Obviously, that gives them a lot of speed, and they've invested 14,000 billion kroner the last 10 years. That's a big number. (laughs) Yeah. But, yeah, I think, I mean, we can use it for weapons and surveillance and a lot of different things i think if we can use if we can if we go back to what you said in the beginning jonathan and Mm. you melker if we can 
start painting up a vision of the future and the future we want to create and discuss how we can use AI to create that future, I think mm. we then we will start to do that. But currently in Europe, I think we're still in a mindset of people know best and let's mm. try to limit AI to just efficient, add some efficiency to to people. And it's a lot about protecting the institution of eu and the way we are doing things and i think that's that worries me a mm. lot so you mentioned uh, something really interesting like as we said before this conversation our our leading question of how on earth can we live together um which is kind of guiding us so if if you were to paint a a vision of your knowledge and also your wishes what uh, would you like see as some fragments of the future say 20 years from now in terms of what ai has allowed in society i hope 20 years from now we will see a europe where our citizens are healthier than ever live longer than ever healthy thanks to AI, helping everyone live as close as healthy they can be uh, at a lower cost to society and healthcare than ever before. I'm hoping that children are born, born in Europe and get individualized education so they can reach their individual potential and don't have to conform to very, very rigid norms and can be whoever or whatever they want to be and keep changing throughout life. And I hope that we have a democracy that is has taken the next step where uh, the citizens of Europe are more involved in democracy and can access the process of democracy and influence the creation of future more than ever before. And that will, I think that will be a key to, to prospering Europe 20, 20 years from now. But that will require letting go of power from mm. a lot of people who are in powerful places right now and and kind of putting that in a central digitized technological place mm. that is owned by everyone. Mm. Yeah. I was thinking about like sometimes when we speak about the transition of society into the future and especially like if we use climate change as the example where we have to draw down carbon emissions and other greenhouse gases we say that we need to transition society in a way that we bend and not break and this bending aspect of uh, conforming society in in a pace that doesn't fracture uh, society too much for it to be able to transition into a healthy future is something that i think becomes really relevant when we speak about ai and uh, the pace that that is happening, um, especially like if we talk workforce migration and the future of work where more and more jobs are being both more effective and also like replaced by AI. So do you have some uh, concerns or ideas for how we humans as a society are able to cope with the changes as well? On one hand, I think there's a lot of responsibility on the individual. Uh, we've lived or and a lot of challenges 
for some generations, we have a lot of people who've lived their entire lives, like they've worked for decades, not having a thought in their mind that they have to change jobs at any point in life. And all of a sudden we live in a world where you can't expect that the job that you graduate to to work with will be around 10 years from now. That You will always have to to evolve and learn new things. And that's a completely new mindset, or not a completely new mindset. Obviously, that was the mindset when we were hunter and gatherers. You couldn't go out and expect things to be the same. But at least for the last 100 years, it's been that way. So I think there's some amount of signaling that actually having politicians to to talk about the future we want to create and tell people like this is what we what we what is needed from all of us to get there and not just avoid talking about it i think that's one important thing and then the second most important thing i would say is to start to change how we educate our young and how we train our future adults, both to learn differently, to be prepared to, con- to, I would say, to not kill curiosity, to foster mm. curiosity so that people still have it. Because every human is born with curious and most of us are become adults without curiosity anymore. Mm. So kind of keep that. And also work with uh, resilient m- mental health so we can handle the world better. I think the, and then obviously learn how to work together with technology and AI as, hum- as adults. If we can change that from an educational perspective in the future generation, I think the potential value creation of that is so big that the generations that where it's too late to change and adapt, we can just give them citizen salary Mm. Mm. if they want. Yeah, it's like such an exploration to be part of all of things that are happening. And uh, I think I like the way that you speak about this, like really highlighting the how we can do things and be pragmatic about it and not just be fear-based and painting a picture of some dystopian future as almost a reason to not engage with these topics to say like stop 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 and uh, let's not think about this anymore Mm. um yeah because it's like it feels like it's a bit too late to turn back as well like it's we've opened opened the box it's not we can put it back in it's like learn how to dance with it learn how to work and live with it kind of yeah i would still argue that Humans have never, ever in history been able to stop technology. Hmm. And some people say, yeah, we have done that with cloning or nuclear weapons. Hmm. But not really. There's tens of thousands of nuclear weapons. If there's an economic gain to be had from using nuclear weapons, people will use use nuclear weapons. Yeah. You you also mentioned there that um, uh, the role of AI AI in uh, creating democracy. Could you expand on that? How how can AI be be as a tool to create a, a democracy? The first easiest way right now we have thousands of motions going to parliament every year. 
which are really, really tedious and written in a political language that no sound human uh, has any need to read. Just creating an API to summarize all that. So it becomes easy for people to read it and take a stance on it and be more involved. Using technology that politicians and parties, I mean, if they're needed in the future, I don't think so. Listen to people in a more open way. What do you want for the future? What do you need from the future? And actually involve people more and help them understand perspectives more. I think that's uh, the first part. And then obviously I would like to have every motion and every debate, real-time AI literature studies. So whenever someone says something, AI fact-checks it and says, this is this true or not? Here are the sources for the latest research on this topic. Or in, in TV debates, if someone gets a question and just have a, a score on the answer, did the politician respond or did she or he deviate from the answer i think it could help make politics healthier mm, that's that's very interesting to kind of because then that like forces it to be more honest and transparent kind of that you, yeah. you can't you can't bullshit your way out of a, a political debate because then you will be caught with a hand in a cookie jar or also i was also thinking for for media, you must be, play such a crucial role for now when in the times that we live in where where also with our economic system that it's incentivized to kind of get traffic. Uh, the newspapers need to write something that is interesting, that is grasping our mind or uh, getting our attention. It's not the need or the um, desire to be truthful becomes le- like kind of less important is more important to be first or be extraordinary so you kind of tweak the truth a little bit and then the the issue of fake news and uh, all, all the things that are circling in social media that is not truthful then that could be a kind of a check that okay is this source truthful or is it bullshit yeah i i w- i would say I mean, we in Sweden, we have uh, the publisher. I don't know what Utgivningstillstånd does in English. It's publisher's license, which is fairly easy to get. Mm. And here I'm probably t- stepping on a few toes on the people who <laughs> on uh, uh, free speech. But I mean, to have a publisher license, it should be fairly, it shouldn't be that big of a deal to have the demand of actually having like uh, technology present that always shows you the latest science on the topic that you're writing about Mm. because i mean because on the other hand a, a lot of the stuff that appears in media comes from companies who work with public affairs and lobbying Mm. there are so many different uh, rabbit holes to go down here and uh like that we don't have uh, enough time to deal with today. Like, for example, with the topics such as um, ownership and um, new classes and uh, all these things. But I at least want to ask you about these uh, perhaps latest news about, you could say perhaps, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that these models such as uh, GPT-4 and uh, other front-runner models are... uh, 
kind of pushing the limits of AI and language models and also uh, robotic steering. I saw some, can't remember, Palm E, I think it was called. And that there were a lot of prominent people uh, within the field of AI who are now issued an open letter to to pause that type of AI research. Do you have a perspective on this? I would say that there's a mix of incentives for that open letter. One is uh, people who feel that they that open AI has too much of a head start that they can't catch up. Mm. Uh, some are maybe academics who feel that um, it's not an academic institution that has, is leading the field, that it should be more of a level playing field and want to. And then some are just out for attention and want to have a, a, a big discussion about it. I think it's, personally, I think it's, I don't know, I can't really understand the logic behind it. Okay. Because some of the reasoning is to stop us accidentally inventing general intelligence like sentience, which I would say anyone who knows AI for real have no worries about that. Mm. But that is like a topic that is often coming up for, I think, us who are reading just a popular literature and not actually understanding the mechanistics and language models behind uh, all of mm. this uh, that um, it's like agi and singularity is often spoken about as um, and i don't have any reference uh, towards okay who who is the voice of reason on this topic and who is to be trusted and what should i as a somewhat naive citizens uh, adjust accordingly towards what the future might look like i have no idea mm. uh, i mean i think i think jan lecun at meta and andrew ng is quite quite good authorities on the, these topics if anyone wants to kind of understand our path towards sentient artificial intelligence i think it's really good to to follow and read Jan LeCun's uh, postings and publish pub publications. Mm. But I think it's important to understand that the large language models, they're just one component in intelligence or in, in the way we function and reason. It's there are so many more things required in order to create awareness mm. and where we are right now, it's so far away. And we have we have an imminent threat. I think someone wrote that like even if it's a one percent chance or risk that this happens, that it becomes sentient and kills it all, shouldn't we have the discussion? And my argument to that is there's a one hundred percent chance that we are currently killing ourselves. Yeah. And we know the timeline for that. So we should spend all our focus on that instead of deviating and discussing science fiction scenarios. Mm. And this this technology can help us solve that problem. Mm. So if we if we stop the technology that can actually help us solve 
problem where it's a hundred percent chance of us eliminating ourselves. Yeah, that sounds like a stupid move. Mm. Fair mm. enough. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much for offering that that perspective. And again, it's it's has been really really fun to talk about or kind of expand on the topic of what what AI can do for us to to create the world that we really want and desire to 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 create. Um, but uh, before we before we let you go, Kai, I would like to ask you our uh, signature question as well, which is uh, what would you like to encourage to listeners throughout this decade? I would like to encourage everyone to to practice curiosity mm. every day. If you read something that makes you react and think, what a mm. fucking nutter, try to think one more time and be curious about understanding that person's perspective. I think that's the key to us moving together, move, moving forward mm. together. I like that. And yes. if uh, listeners are are curious and want to learn more and uh, maybe know more about your work and those types of things, where would you direct them and where can they find you? Well, I'm not that, I, I'm mostly on mm. just LinkedIn <laughs> and then uh, kanuki.com, I guess, if you want to send me an email. Uh, cool. That's, that's, those are my <laughs> social perfect. platforms and then physical meetings. Okay. I love physical meetings. Awesome. Perfect. Well, well, Kai, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and uh, enlighten us on the topic of AI. It's It's been so interesting and um, hope to speak to you more again in the future. Thank you very much, Mark and Jonathan. Thank you. See ya. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Decade Podcast. I would like to ask you to reflect on anything in this episode that impacted you or left an impression that you could take with you in this decade of action. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend or in your network on social media. And as always, feel free to reach out with feedback, questions or topics you would like us to cover. You can reach us through our social media or on the decade podcast at gmail.com. And we hope to see you more further down the road throughout this decade. Thank you. Until next time.